Judges chapter 16 this morning, Judges chapter 16. We're going to be uh, doing our Judges study this morning because uh, content's a little bit different. And with the young people that be in, in a children's church, I think it would be more fitting today uh, to look at Judges chapter 16. Of course, we'll handle it carefully and appropriately, but... You know, when you look in the, in the Bible, one of the ways we know that it is indeed the Word of God is because it's so real about all of man's faults. You know, if man were going to write a book uh, supposedly about, uh, um, you know, God and, and uh, how we should do right, we would probably have made ourselves look a little better, you know. Uh, but, uh, but the book of Judges especially is a book that just, it just shows the ugliness of sin. And it gets worse and worse as you go through the book. And, and we've gotten into the life of Samson. And uh, we're not going to conclude his life today. We'll have one more message um, on his life um, and, uh, um, and see how that ended. But we're going to cover a good bit of chapter 16 today. And I've entitled the sermon, Pride Goeth Before Destruction. Pride Goeth Before Destruction. And I want to do something a little different, and I want to begin with the end of the story and go to verse number 21. Judges chapter 16. Actually, let's read verses 20 and 21. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. Heavenly Father, as we examine your word today, I pray that it would examine us that it would be a mirror for our hearts to show us the flaws, to show us our sin, and how we need to be humble and how we need to repent. Any one of us could be guilty of the same sins Samson was guilty of. And if we don't think that's true, then it's apparent we're already guilty of pride. So help us today. Lord, we need you. Help us to walk humbly as our Savior did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever seen a strongman competition before? Maybe, or just clips of it. All right? A few of you have watched those kinds of things. You have these generally very large men that are competing in all kinds of crazy ways to prove who is the strongest. So, for instance, one of the competitions at many strongmen um, events is they have these giant stone balls. They call them atlas stones. And they start uh, at one size and they get gradually bigger and bigger. And these men have to come and they have to pick this stone ball up in the air and they have to put it on a pedestal. And the competition is to see if you can get them all on the pedestals 
And if so, how fast you could do it. Some of these can weigh three to four hundred pounds apiece. Here are these big burly men, they come and they lift these things up and they're straining and they're sweating and they're grunting and if you're not into that sort of thing, it's just gross. But you got to admit, it's pretty impressive some of the feats of strength that these men can pull off. Uh, co uh, competition lifters, professional weight lifters, uh, some of them can, can lift well over a thousand pounds in a deadlift. I mean, it's very impressive just the feats of strength that they can accomplish. But when we think about those men and the things they can do, they pale in comparison, apparently, to the strength that God had supernaturally given to Samson. And that's the thing that we associate Samson with almost immediately, is his physical power. We would say that he was the ultimate strong man. Well, he may have been physically strong, but as you read the story of Samson, what we learn is that in reality, he was a very weak man. He may have been able to perform incredible feats of physical strength, but he lacked a very important strength, the strength of self-control. He was weak in his spirit. He was a slave to the impulses and the desires the lusts of his flesh. And he may have been able to slay a thousand Philistines at one time, but no point in his story did he ever conquer himself. All of the famous events of Samson's story involve him indulging sinful desires in some way and suffering the consequences as a result. And I know that when we, when we teach about Samson in Sunday school and in children's church, there's parts of his story we don't dwell on because honestly it's not appropriate to dwell on with children. But we need to understand that while God used Samson in a very mighty way, Samson was a man whose life is not one that we should imitate. In fact, his life should stand at a warning, as a warning that if the world's strongest man could fall so spectacularly as Samson did, then who are we to think that we can stand in our own strength? The Bible says, Therefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Perhaps one of the most well-known portions of Samson's story is his encounter with the woman named Delilah. Delilah was not a godly woman. She did not love Samson. And as we'll see in a moment, she actually took the bribe that the Philistines offered to betray Samson, lying to him and deceiving him and ultimately, she was the instrument of his downfall. And you read his story as we will today, and you, you may, like me, wonder, what was he thinking? Or you may wonder, was he thinking at all? I mean, this guy was apparently not very bright. Whatever he was or wasn't thinking, the result was that Samson was captured, tortured, and humiliated. 
He had lived a sensual, prideful life, and he became a, a prime example of that old adage, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. So let's notice from his story today an example of this truth, that pride goeth before destruction, so that we might avoid the same mistake. Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter now in verse number 1. Then went Samson to Gaza, and saw there an harlot, and went in unto her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither. And they compassed him in, and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city, and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight, and arose at midnight, and took the doors of the gate of the city, and the two posts, and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders, and carried them up to the top of an hill that is before Hebron. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. This morning we're going to notice from chapter 16 of Judges three ways that Samson fell. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I want you to see, first of all, that we find that Samson fell into lustful love. He fell into lustful love. We've already seen in Samson's story how that he had a problem with the lust of the eyes. How that in the previous chapters he saw a woman and he wanted her. Didn't even know her, didn't even make, hadn't even met her yet, but he wanted this woman based on sight alone. And now we come into chapter 16, and in four verses we find two more examples of Samson falling prey to the lust of the eyes and falling into lustful love. Now, when I use the expression falling into, please do not misunderstand. It wasn't an accident. This was not like tripping and oops, I fell. This was intentional on Samson's part. In these verses, we see two incidents. First of all, the time that he encountered a harlot. Second of all, the time that he encountered a heathen. In the first three verses, we have a brief story, but one that's become uh, familiar and famous because of what he does at the end of the story. But it begins with him going down to Gaza and Notice verse number one, saw. What did he see? He saw there an harlot. Okay, a harlot is a prostitute. This is an immoral woman who makes a living through immorality. And he goes down and he sees this woman, and immediately he gives in to the lust of the flesh. It says that he went in under her. Now, this is kind of the setup for the story, but notice that's what's going on here. The Samson is indulging the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh this evening. Well, the people of the town heard that he was there. And they said, we're going to get it. We're going to kill him. And so they surrounded, uh, surrounded uh, the, the house or the area, maybe just the neighborhood that he was in, and they were laying wait for him um, all night. They were saying, we're going to kill him in the morning. And about midnight, it says that Samson arose and he left. 
Now, in, in ancient times, when, at nighttime, a city would have been closed up. Cities would have been walled all the way around, typically with stone walls that were very high, very thick, and that was for protection against enemies. And at nighttime, he wanted the gates closed so that the enemies couldn't sneak in. And so there would be a set time of day where they would close the gates and no one was supposed to go out or come in until the next morning. So Samson gets up in the middle of the night and, of course, the gates are closed. Well, that's no problem for Samson. What does he do? He rips the gate out. Not just the doors of the gate, but the Bible says that he ripped out the posts of the gate and the bar that was holding the gate in place. Now, if somebody were to do that in our modern era, to walk, let's say, to the front of the church here where we have double doors across the front, just go to one pair of double doors and barehandedly rip that pair of double doors out, frame it all, and carry it off across the street, we'd say that's a pretty impressive feat of strength. But back in this day, it was even more impressive because these gates would have been made of thick wood and iron, most likely. And there is no telling. We don't even know. We don't even have a way of guessing how much these things actually weigh. But it could have been at least a ton or even more. And he not only rips them out, the Bible says that he puts them on his shoulder and he carries them up a hill. Carries it off up this hill to the top of the hill that is before Hebrew. Now, if you've ever done any hiking or anything like that, where you've had to like hike up a mountain, and you've had a backpack on your back in doing that, you probably um, come to appreciate the expression that hikers use. They say ounces equals pounds. Because when you're hiking, it's all about shedding every ounce that you can, because by the time you get well into your hike, every little extra thing that you brought along is going to be weighing on you. Samson didn't care. Here he hiked up this mountain with this gate, posts, and all. And we say, wow, look at that. That's amazing. Wait a second. Let's not forget what led up to this. Yes, he was delivered. Yes, he was not killed by these people. Yes, it is an incident of God using a very flawed person. But Samson should have never been there in the first place. He should have never been doing what he was doing. So, let's just be careful when we think about him that we keep it all in context. But then verse number four, we see the time that he spent with a heathen. He comes, down to, uh, he comes back and sometime later, we don't know how, how long, it says it came to pass afterward. Um, in previous uh, 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 verses, Judge 15, Judges 15, 20, we learn that, that Samson judged Israel for a total of 20 years. And so what happens next is right at the end of that 20-year time period. But he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Now Delilah, we're not, we don't know anything else about her other than what we read here in this story of Samson. We don't even know for sure whether she was a Jew or she was a Philistine. But what I do know for sure, based on what we see in her character, she was not a godly woman at all. Regardless of her nationality, that didn't make any difference. She was an ungodly woman. She was a woman of low character. 
Now you think about the three women in Samson's life that we know from his story he's been involved with. He's been involved with a Philistine, the Timnite, and, and, and all that went on there. That was horrible. That was terrible. He's been involved with a harlot, and now he's involved with this lady Delilah, who ends up being his downfall and bringing about his demise. Samson was obviously not a very bright guy. He was not really good at picking up on patterns, you know what I mean? Because every time he picked a woman, it didn't end up well for him. Because for Samson, apparently he didn't care about character. All he cared about was pleasure. This woman pleases me. I will get pleasure being with this woman. That's all that he cared about. And so he falls in with this woman of low character named Delilah. Look at verse number five. It says, And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give thee every one of us 1,100 pieces of silver. Verse six, And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. From the very beginning here, we know that Delilah is an ungodly woman. Not only because she's associating with an ungodly man in Samson, but also because she so willingly, so easily took this bride. Now, did Samson really love her? I contend he did not love her with a Christ-like love. No indication of that whatsoever. The love that he had for her was nothing more than a lustful love, just like he had had for the other women in his life. It was just sensual lust is all it was. So they come to Delilah, these lords of the Philistines, and they offer her a whole bunch of money. It's going to make her life very comfortable to get this money. She could live the rest of her life however she wanted, wouldn't have to work another day. She accepts the bride. Oh, the indication is there wasn't even any deliberation. And she goes to Samson and asks him to reveal the secret of his strength. They offered her a bribe and she took it. She didn't love Samson. I contend that based on her character and her story, we can say definitively she didn't love God. But apparently she did love money. Apparently she was willing to even betray someone who she was supposed to be in a loving relationship with just for a chance to get rich. The Bible does say that the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they varied from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The first way that Samson fell is he fell into lustful love. This was a repeated pattern in his life. Why did he keep falling over and over again for these wicked women? Because of his pride. He said, I want it, so I'm going to get it. It was all about him. It was all about what was going to please him. It was all about Samson. And even when we get to the very end of his story, the end of chapter 16 and his prayer to God, it was all about Samson. Samson lived a selfish and a sensual life. And he paid the price for it. 
he fell for lustful love. But then let's notice secondly in our story that he fell for Delilah's deceit. He fell for Delilah's deceit. Look at verse 7. So she's asked him for the secret of his strength and Samson said unto her, if they bind me, now notice that, he said if they bind me. So he's thinking, all right, he's thinking about the Philistines already and what they might do to him. If they bind me with seven green widths that were never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green widths which had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now they were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. And she said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he brake the widths, and as a, as a thread of tow is broken when it toucheth the fire. So his strength was not known. We'll pause here for just a second. Here's the first incident of Delilah's deceit. She asks him for the secret, and he says, well, if they would take these green vines, that's what a, a green width is, it's a kind of a, a vine, all right? If they take these, these seven green vines, they haven't been dried out yet, and they will, they will tie me up with that, well, then I will lose my strength. So he tells her this, and it was a lie. It wasn't the truth. So again, indication of Samson's character here. But what happens? Well, somehow she sends words back to the uh, Philistine lords, and so they sent her seven green widths, and she tied him up. Now, most likely he was asleep when this happened. Based on how the story flows, he was probably sleeping each time that she did these things to him. And so he's asleep. Must have been a hard sleeper, by the way. He was just, I think I would know it if my wife was trying to, like, you know, tie me up with vines in the middle of the night or something. Must have been a hard sleeper. She ties him up, but then once she's got him tied up, she has Philistines that are that are hiding there in the house. We don't know how many guys it was. I'm sure they would have sent uh, some of their biggest and their best soldiers to uh, to try and arrest Samson. But whoever, whoever and however and however many of them it was, they were hiding there. And so she wakes him up. Samson, the Philistines be upon him. And so he wakes up out of his sleep. And the Bible says that those those vines that he'd been tied up with, he broke them just like they were little pieces of string that had been burnt in fire. <laughs> just snap, off they came. And here he came jumping up ready to fight. And it was obvious that his strength was still with him. Verse number 10. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou mightest be bound. So here she comes for attempt number two. First of all, notice the manipulation she's engaging in here. She's engaging in emotional manipulation with him. You're making fun of me, Samson. And she's also engaging in, you know, I don't know if we call it spiritual manipulation or not, but she's saying, you're lying to me. Well, what are you doing, Delilah? Hypocrite much? You're mocking me. You're lying to me. Tell me wherewith thou mightest be met. Now, if I'm Samson, I I'm hoping that I'm smart enough not to be fooled a second time. What's the old expression? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But what does Samson do? Well, he tells her another lie. He said unto her, verse 11, if they bind me, again they, 
If they bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound them therewith and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And there were liars in wait abiding in the chamber. And he break them off from his arms like a threat. So same scenario here. She ties him up and then this, the Philistines are upon you and he jumps up and he breaks the brand new ropes like they were nothing. Just snap, off they come and he's ready to fight. And it's obvious that that was not the secret of his strength. Delilah said unto Samson, Verse 13. Hitherto thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherewith thou mightest be bound. Here comes attempt number three. He said unto her, Thou weavest the seven locks of my head with a web. And she fastened it with the pen and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he waked out of his sleep and went away with the pen of the beam and with the web. What is this talking about? Well, it was not uncommon in Bible times for most houses to have some kind of a loom for weaving fabric. They would make a lot of their own fabric. And if you've ever seen a loom for large fabric, it can be pretty hefty. I mean, they can be very large pieces of equipment. And he's, he, so he told her, well, you know, if you, if you weave my hair into this, into this loom, into the, the webbing of the loom, well, then I'll lose my strength. And so what does she do? Well, he goes to sleep and weaves his hair into it. Again, I'm thinking, man, this guy was a hard sleeper. And she fastens it, puts this pin through it so it's locked in place. You can't just pull it out. And the same thing, the, the Philistines be upon me. And he jumps up, and the Bible says that he carried the whole loom out with him. It stuck in his hair, so he just carried it on out with him. Three times she asked, three times she tried to capture him. I have some questions. Why did he keep hanging around this woman? What is going on in Samson's head? Is there anything going on in Samson's head? After the all right, after the first time, that should have been a red flag. After the second time, you, you should have looked in the mirror and said, dude, you need to wise up. All right, after the third time, I'm thinking, Samson, this is all on you. All right, you knew better. There is no justification for this kind of foolishness. But don't you see, it was pride that had blinded him. He'd become so arrogant and so self-confident, he thought he was strong enough to keep defending himself. He just kept telling her stuff. I don't know, maybe he just wanted another chance to show off. But it was all pride. It was pride that blinded him that he kept falling for this over and over and over again. I think what is most likely is he knew that every time he told her something, she was going to try something and, and he just didn't care. He was so self-confident, he didn't care. Romans 12, 3 warns us, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Samson's problem was is he thought more highly of himself than he ought to have thought. He thought, I'm big enough, I'm bad enough, I'm strong enough. I can defend myself. This woman can do whatever she wants to to me. 
I'll defend myself. I'm the guy who killed a thousand Philistines with a donkey's jaw. I'm the guy who carried the gates of the city up the mountain. This woman can't hurt me. He was so full of pride that he fell for Delilah's deceit. But then notice number three. He was so full of pride that he fell into the hands of the heathen. Verse 15 says, She said unto him, How canst thou say I love thee when thy heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lies. Notice again how she's trying to manipulate him into telling her the secret. How can you say you love me, Samson? You're mocking me. You're lying to me. In verse 16, it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death that he told her all his heart. How was Samson defeated? The world's strongest man was defeated by a persistent woman. Now let me just let me just say here. That God has given women a tremendous amount of influence. Wives, you have a tremendous amount of influence over your husband, over your children. Ladies, you may tempted, be tempted to think sometimes that you don't have any real power. It's not true. Not true at all. But that power can either be used for the glory of God or for selfish ends. Delilah used her power to achieve a selfish end. She wanted the money. And so she manipulated, she cajoled, she nagged Samson nearly to death. Notice what it says. That she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. Woman, you're killing me! Is what Samson got to. Until finally, he told her all that was in his heart. And what does he say in verse 17? There hath not come a razor upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like other, any other man. And when Delilah saw that he told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. Finally, Samson revealed something. And understand this, that it was not the physical properties of his hair that resulted in his great strength. But the hair was a symbol. The hair was a symbol of his devotion to God because he was under the vow of the Nazarite. Nazarites, those who were under the vow of the Nazarite, were not supposed to cut their hair the entire time that they were under the vow. And in Samson's case, that meant his whole life. So it was not anything physical about the properties of his hair or, or anything like that. It was the fact that, that his hair stood as a symbol of his consecration to God. And so by revealing this secret to a wicked woman, he was essentially, and, and, and he knew what was going to happen. How could he not know? Three times he had told her something, if you do this, I'll lose my strength. And all three times she had tried it. All right? How, 
How could he not guess that she was probably going to try and cut his hair off? But apparently he didn't care. And, and by divulging this secret in this manner and allowing his hair to be cut off, he broke his vow to God. And the reason Samson would lose his strength was not just because he cut off his hair. It's just because he broke his vow to God. And so what does it say? Verse 19, she made him sleep upon her knees and she called for a man and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. You know, a lot of times we think of the story, we think Delilah actually cut his hair. She didn't. She called for somebody else to come in and that man cut his hair off. But that's done. And she began to afflict him. And strength went from him. So he's asleep there and the hair's gone. And she begins to, I don't know how she was doing this. Maybe she was just poking him. Maybe she was just trying to stir him up a little bit. You know, maybe he lifted his arm and just went, well, I don't know what she was doing. But whatever it was, she realized he has lost his strength. And so she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson, just like before. And what does Samson do? Verse 20, he woke out of his sleep and said, notice this next phrase, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Samson jumps up. He had to have known right away that his hair was was gone, but he didn't care. He said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to shake myself just as before. And he had no idea that God had left him. He was so self-confident, he didn't even realize it. How could he not know? Don't you see, his pride had so blinded him that for so long he had depended on his own strength, that for so long he had indulged his own desires, and for so long he had done whatever Samson wanted to do, that now when God has finally departed from him, he doesn't even know it. He doesn't even realize it. His conscience has become so seared that he is totally clueless. So the Philistines took him. Verse 21. Put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Samson was depending on himself, and so God did not deliver him. The other times that God delivered Samson, when Samson was being selfish and when he was being immoral, that was just God's grace. But God has not obligated Himself to deliver us from the consequences of our foolish sin. We think in our pride that we can do what we want and get away with it. Sometimes God in His mercy will lessen the consequences of our sin. Sometimes when we confess and repent, God will... will Take the edge off of that, if you will. But God has not obligated Himself to do that. And in this particular instance, because Samson was not relying on the Lord, the Lord did not deliver him. The Philistines came and they took him, and the Bible says that they put out his eyes. I ask you, is that a coincidence? 
Do you think that it's a coincidence that that's what they did and that's what the Holy Spirit recorded for us? Or could it be that it was because Samson's eyes, going all the way back to the beginning of his story, had been a consistent problem for him that to stand as a stark reminder to you and me of the danger of living according to the lust of the eyes, that they put his eyes out. They had caused him problems throughout his adult life. And now, toward the end of his life, they will stand as forever, for all of eternity, as a representation and as an illustration of the truth that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In Judges chapter 14, we read that Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman of Timnath. Verse 2, he came up and told his father and his mother, I have seen a woman in Timnath. And Judges 16 and verse number 1, Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. But now he will see no more because of his pride. All of the famous events of Samson's story involve him indulging sinful, uh, uh, sensual desires and suffering the consequences. He lived by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and he paid the price for it. He would have done far better to follow the advice that Jesus would later give in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Do you remember when you were a child in Sunday school you learned a little song? Oh, be careful, little eye, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eye, what you see. You remember that song? Was that something just to fill time in a Sunday school class? No. There was a very important truth behind that. That we need to be reminded of today that we have to be careful what we allow into our hearts through our eyes. Especially in the day in which we live, in which access to immorality and and uh, sensuality with technology is, is not just prevalent, it's rampant. Samson apparently thought that he was big enough to handle it. Maybe he thought he was too big for God to judge. Maybe, maybe he thought, I'm the judge of Israel. I'm too important. If God gets rid of me, what's he going to do? God needs me. You say, would somebody really think that way? Yes, sadly. We could recount story after story of famous religious leaders, even preachers from churches like ours, who had a tremendous amount of influence nationwide, worldwide, who are now in disgrace. And it can be traced back to a heart of pride that thought they could do whatever they wanted and get away with it. Samson thought he could handle it. Three times she's tried to bind me. Three times I've been able to uh, escape. I can handle it. And in his pride, he fell. When you lift yourself up, know this. God will put you down. Proverbs 15.25 The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. Proverbs 16.5 verse Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. 
Proverbs 11 and verse 2, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so as we leave Samson this morning, we find that he's been taken back to Gaza where he started in this chapter. Only this time, he's being brought in as a blind prisoner. He is being bound with fetters of brass and he's made to grind in the prison house. He's doing the work of a farm animal running a grinder. Utter humiliation. Now I ask you, is that the kind of person whose life you want to imitate? No. No, instead, we need to humble ourselves before God. Humility is necessary for salvation. Humility is necessary for sanctification. We must humble ourselves before God. There are many Christians who are frustrated and unfulfilled in their Christian life because they're walking in pride. They live for themselves. Their life is defined by what they want. And if they don't get what they want, they're just not happy. It's pride when a person thinks that they know what is best and that they deserve to have what they want. But the result of that is a life of misery. Instead, we need to humbly admit that God knows better. His way is best and we need to obediently walk in humility with the Lord. Because only then will God's unlimited grace fill our lives. James chapter 4 Verse 6 says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. We saw this recently in our study of, in 1 Peter, but the idea of God resisting the proud is he stands against the proud. He works against them. He makes it difficult for them. But in contrast, he gives grace to the humble. He helps them. He gives them what they need. He makes life easier. And so verse 10 of James 4 says, Humble yourselves therefore in the sight of God, and He will lift you up. Samson fell into lustful love. He fell for the deceits of Delilah. And he fell into the hands of the heathen. Why? Because of his pride. And if we would avoid falling, as ironically as it sounds, the way to avoid falling is to humble yourself. To get lower. And when we lower ourselves, when we humble ourselves before God, that's when God will lift us up. Our Heavenly Father, as we think about the story of Samson this morning, I can't help but see the contrast between how he lived and how our Savior lived. Samson lifted himself up and he re the result was a tragic fall. Jesus, on the other hand, humbled himself and now he has been exalted to eternal glory. And Lord, I pray that you would ingrain on our hearts the importance of keeping a humble spirit. May we not indulge the desires of our flesh, 
May we walk in humble obedience. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed. You know, a lot of times when we think about pride, we think of somebody that has an inflated view of themselves. They think they're so much better than everyone else. But you know, there's another kind of pride. And that is where you just think about yourself too much. So I want to ask you this morning, who do you think about more? Yourself and what you want and how to get that? Or God and what He wants and how to do that? It really boils down to that simple question. Is God your consuming thought or not? There can only be one person on the throne of your heart. God's not going to move over and share that seat. And if you cannot say definitively that God is on the throne of your heart. He is in charge of every part of your life. That He is the one that you want to please and doing His will is your consuming desire. And friend, you need to confess it to God. You need to put God back on the throne of your heart. Humble yourself. Get out of the way. And let God rule.